anniversary is the night when passionate fans from around the world come together and to dream. Slammiversary gives fans everywhere something to hope for. We told you that tonight is about you. We told you our energy would be relentless. Well, here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our post-wrestling review of Impact's Slammiversary event. And, of course, being an Impact pay-per-view, could only have one man that could uh, be my... My co-host for the evening, you know him from such a plethora of shows from our library, from our history. He is the one and only brother Nate, Nate Milton, who joins us here, the king of sport himself, here at Post Wrestling. What is going on, Brother Pollock? It is good to be here. Good to be talking to you, my friend. And uh, for the listeners that may be surprised, they shouldn't be, because if they paid attention and stayed to the end credits of the last episode of Keep It 2000, they would have seen... Or, or heard rather when you came in and, uh, you had an eye patch on for whatever reason. I don't know why, you know, you, it's, it's your thing, John. And you said, I need to talk to you about the impact initiative. And then we faded to black. <laughs> and so if, if they stayed around for the, for the post podcast scene, they would have known what we were going to do this week. First and only time I've been compared to Samuel L. Jackson in my life. So I'm definitely going to take this one and run with it. <sighs> John, real quick, before we get into impact, I, I want to thank you. For myself and also probably for some of the listeners out there, I had no idea how much I missed not only baseball mogul, but football mogul until uh, you rekindled our love for it. I, w- one man's love is another man's uh, crazy addiction. And I'm hearing from a lot of people, Nate, that I have sent them down a path that they have tried to swear off of. And I have been <laughs> the gateway back to a, uh, a habitual... Um, routine that involves managing sports franchises out there. Have you gone down the baseball and or football path? I've never played football mogul, by the way. Yeah, I've got a season right now started on football mogul where I took over the San Diego Chargers because I want to keep them in San Diego. Of course. And I've got a, I've got actually two, uh, baseball mogul, uh, franchises running one with the 99 Expos. And a second one with, uh, the 2013 Atlanta Braves. Okay. Tell me a bit about, uh, give me a sense of the lineup of the 99 Expos. Is this in the midst? This would be post Pedro and what Vla- is Vladimir Guerrero in the midst of things in 99? Yeah, Vlad is still my, 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 uh, top player. Uh, not only do I have Vladimir, but I've also got his brother Wilton. Uh, and it's, it's funny because I've, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like looking back at your childhood, John Pollock, and you can tell by the enthusiasm in my voice because I spent so many hours literally going through the rosters, uh, in 1999 and like, oh, there's Ron Gant. There's David Justice. Oh, I wonder how much it'll take to get Cal Ripken off the Orioles hands. Uh, if I, I could probably sit down and rattle off the rosters of that 92 Blue Jays team and that 92 Braves team that they met in the finals, uh, right down to, that closing moment of Otis Nixon bunting yes. and getting thrown out to Joe Carter, who was uh, on first base, uh, given that they were at a, a National League ballpark and we got all the shifts. But 
I mean, that, that moment of Otis Nixon, uh, bunting and being the last out, that always stuck with me. When I played like competitive baseball, there was one championship game when I grounded out and I was the final out and I thought of that as my Otis Nixon moment. <sighs> well, hopefully that's your only connection to, uh, one brother Otis Nixon. Uh, bring me up to speed. What, where did o- Otis Nixon go, go wrong? What was his, uh, problem? I'm not even aware. <laughs> Otis, Otis Nixon went wrong when, uh, he, he turned to crack. John oh, Pollock. Oh, well, that's, that's a tough, is a hell of a tough one to come back from. <laughs> yes. But hey, so, we've, uh, se- we've seen impact come back from some horrible depths as well. So there's always a retribution out there for people. It, it is. It is. But yeah, like, I, I don't know what it is, man. It's, and I was talking with Marcus about this over the weekend on the Kings of Sport where baseball today, I'm still a fan, but it's never been as, as, as prescient and as, powerful you know to me as it was back in the day you know in the in the 90s early 2000s like i don't i don't have that type of energy and that type of feeling where i memorize rosters and memorize pitching rotations and 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 know the contract status of these various players like i like i did back in the day so that you you've created a monster john pollock i i now have baseball mogul on <laughs> on two computers at at my house currently and football mogul on the other one so uh, well, we're gonna have to get updates on on your uh, your general manager skills uh, to come. But uh, we have so much to get to tonight, and uh, we're gonna run down Slammiversary. Uh, we're also gonna hear from you from the post wrestling forum. Uh, Wei Ting is gonna join us. He attended the show live tonight in Toronto, and at the end of the show, uh, I'm I'm gonna put Nate Milton on the spot because I'm going to throw out some some sports topics that I want to get some feedback from Nate primarily. On the Toronto Raptors, and they have been busy this off season, firing a coach, making a massive trade. I want I want Nate to be the uh, the judge and jury on on these moves and whether they have been improvements or not. So we're going to get into all of that. But uh, tonight's show, uh, it was billed as Slammiversary, but what I really sensed was this was a love letter to one Nate Milton. This was a this was a, a lover that had done you wrong, Nate. And tonight was them saying. I don't want to tell you I'm sorry. I want to show you that I'm sorry. Uh, because when we talked to you last night after redemption, I didn't sense that there was redemption in your heart for this product. I thought that tonight, I think that for most people, this one seemed to be a show that this was the real litmus test for the Scott Demore, Don Callis regime and giving kind of a fair assessment of them uh, some six and a half months into this reign. Uh, what has your viewing habits been like for Impact? How much have you been following it he- heading into Slammiversary? I pretty much watch week to week uh, on, on Pop TV and every now and then I'll tune into the Twitch channel to see if there's anything good going on. Um, I recently watched the Rise of the Knockout show they did, uh, which I thought was pretty good. And, you know, you talk about Impact trying to make good to the audience and, and rebuild some of that good faith that they squandered. And I would say over the past year, they obviously haven't won back all that good faith that they lost, but I think they've, they've made some strides. You know, I think being more interactive, being more cooperative, not only with the audience, but also with other companies, it, it's open doors for impact. I think the Lucha Underground partnership has been a positive form. Uh, the rise thing, like I mentioned, was good. Uh, even Pluto TV, like the Pluto TV thing is a nothing, nothing deal, but you know, because I have no more interest in the current impact product, it's led me to, you know, kind of pine for some of the old impact as well. 
well. And so I'll go on Pluto TV every now and then and check out, you know, one of the shows that they've got up there. So I would say overall they're, they're in a better space than they have been. Uh, I think when we last talked at Slammiverse, uh, Redemption, excuse me, you know, I was like, okay, they, they, they've made some strides. They, they've made some advances, but I'm not, I'm not buying it yet. Uh, after tonight, I'm, I might, I might uh, have to make a purchase, John Pollock. Well, well, we did make two of us made purchases, uh, but I might have to buy what Impact is selling. Yeah, and it was quite a lot that they were selling tonight. This one set me back uh, forty Canadian plus tax, Nate. <laughs> Fight TV, which is uh, how both of us uh, watched this one. Uh, yes. So let us dive into this. This was uh, quite the show. Uh, started off, they had been uh, advertising that the show was sold out and. I was asking around from people that attended the show, kind of a, a numerical guess. So these were kind of uh, estimates from people at the show uh, that it sounded like it was, you know, one person cited it around, you know, 800 to 850. I also know they were selling tickets uh, right up until showtime, um, okay. which isn't uncommon the day of the show when you get all the production uh, set up. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know what the, the final number was for attendance, but... This is very much baby steps. And I will say this in the case of Impact that had you told me in January that they would sell 800 plus tickets to a show, I would probably take the under on that mm. in terms of them being able to do that this year. Um, their television viewership, if anything, it's gone down since Redemption. So we're still talking about something that I feel the on-screen product is uh, being enjoyed by those that are consuming it, but the numbers are not necessarily following uh and that's why I'm interested to see what kind of the fallout is like of this show that seems to be pretty, um, pretty positive reaction to, uh, so far. Josh Matthews and Don Callis called this show. Nate, uh, can you put into words what Don Callis was dressed as on this show? Because, um, <laughs> I make jokes about some guys that maybe fall asleep in a, in a tanning bed. Yeah. I'm wondering if Don Callis has taken up permanent residence in one. He was, uh, he he just looked uh, like something else here. He almost did not look like Don Callis. I mean, this is the big night, John Pollock. <laughs> this is the biggest show of the year so far. So he had to pull out all the stops. He had to get his finest suit. He had to <laughs> get his head done else. just right. Uh, yes, and 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 yes, he he did spend a little time in the tanning bed. But uh, looks aside, I've continued to be. I don't want to go as far as to say impressed because I've, you know, we've, we've heard Don Callis before, but I've been pleasantly surprised, I guess, by the pairing of him and Josh Matthews over the past few months. And the commentary was something that was always a bit of a problem for me with impact. And this team, while not the greatest commentary team we've heard, John, it, it adds a lot to the product that, you know, we don't have stupid angles and bickering between the announcers. Yeah, it's been a major plus uh, eliminating Josh Matthews as the heel manager, which is interesting because a year ago, um, so many of us were pushing for him to get out of the booth to become that heel manager. Yeah. And I think having seen him with Matt Seidel, I much prefer him in this role where Josh is not playing the antagonizing play-by-play -play announcer anymore. That dreadful period with Jeremy Borash is a thing of the past. And I think having someone like Don Callis that is um, – kind of has a stature unto himself that it's kind of leveled out Josh to just be a play-by-play -play announcer and not overtake the scene or the match with his commentary. Yes. Yes. He, uh, hold on, I was going to say, hold on, yep. John, before we get too deep, let's not uh, 
skip what you know you talked about tna kind of sending a love letter to me they started it off with with the sweetest cherry on top oh was this the uh the famous uh james earl jones voiceover uh <laughs> member <laughs> yes the the barry scott cold open a barry scott that's know, his name i didn't know his name was barry scott b I, I, I didn't know what barry scott looked like not only did we get the barry scott booming deep voice cold open but we also got barry scott just walking around like this was the most important moment of Barry Scott's life, and he was going to make sure you knew it was the most important moment of his life. He was screaming at me to get ready for this pay-per-view. I was, uh, I was afraid not to. Uh, these, <laughs> uh, you know, someone behind the scenes that you know has been, I think, a big part of the presentation of Impact is Kevin Sullivan, not the wrestler mm-hmm. Kevin Sullivan, but the longtime producer. Uh, he is the one, like him and his team, behind these videos that I think they have really set themselves apart, even if you really can't get into the Madison Rain, uh, Sue Young stuff, which I have a really hard time getting into that feud. Uh, you cannot deny kind of the, the level of production that has gone into these videos. And this open was another example of that. Like I felt this felt important because the company made it feel important right at the start, which I can't say I felt last week at the start of Extreme Rules. And that's that. <laughs> <laughs> So we started things off. Petey Williams took the spot of Rich Swan, who was apparently uh, backstage at the show. Uh, Petey Williams, Johnny Impact, Phoenix, and Taiji Ishimori. And the big question, Nate, would be uh, based on his opening uh, his opening pitch at the Blue Jays game on Sunday. Uh, would Johnny Impact be making your your roster? Ooh, so I, I liked Miz's play in the celebrity softball game uh, over All Star Weekend. Um, Johnny Impact, you know, they, they really didn't give us, give us a whole lot. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'll sign them to a triple A deal. Um, or maybe even a double A deal, but, uh, the Miz would make my roster on baseball mogul. So it was kind of amazing when you, uh, it was just late in the day that it was announced Petey Williams would be taking the spot of Rich Swan and he comes out in the Canadian flag and it makes you think, were they really going to do a whole pay-per-view here in Toronto and not even use Petey Williams? Like, it just seems like, yeah. what an easy decision to just put this guy in this match, whether it had been originally uh, thought of as a five-way or just something to have Petey Williams come out for that that first uh, entrance of the night. Just seemed really simple. Yeah, and, and in terms of just a substitute for Rich, Rich Swan, like, obviously, I was looking forward to seeing Swan on this stage. Uh, you know, his first really big... Uh, exposure with TNA. You know, he had a great match a couple weeks ago, but like you said, it's a very niche product right now, so I don't know how many people uh, were watching that, but uh, like if, if Petey Williams is your make good, like if Petey Williams is your backup, that, that's a hell of a backup. The audience was hot right out of the gate. They were chanting Impact Wrestling, all these guys, um, very, very strong crowd, and it would last throughout the show. The crowd was a big part of this show. Uh, early on, they went through combinations with uh, two guys at a time, while the other two would be somewhere on the floor. Led up to uh, Taji Ishimori hitting a golden triangle moonsault to the other three on the floor. Ishimori blocked a Canadian destroyer, so instead Williams applied the sharpshooter, the requisite hold that you have to do on a Canadian card. Uh, he relinquished the hold when Johnny Impact entered, and then Phoenix hit a rolling cutter to Impact. Ishimori broke the cover, and then Ishimori hit Phoenix with the bloody cross that he introduced during the Best of the Super Juniors tournament. Phoenix saved, and it climaxed with Impact super kicking Phoenix, hitting the Starship Pain, and pinning Phoenix at 12 minutes, 29 seconds. So Johnny Impact, uh, after uh, taking time off, uh, doing Survivor, he comes back, gets the win. I think this was a 
pretty much a foregone conclusion that this was a kind of a reintroduction for Johnny Impact. But what did you think of the opener? John, this was a classic TNA X Division spot fest, and I mean that in the best possible way. Like This was a, a really smart decision to put this as the opening match because it got the crowd into it. Um, and every guy, like you said, had their moment to shine. I was really glad to see Ishimori back. Uh, he was one of the bright spots on TNA earlier, uh, in the year, I guess later last year. Um, but it didn't make any sense for anybody else other than, uh, Johnny Impact to win this. Uh, I think just the, the way that he's presented and the way that, you know, he, his character comes across. And this is no disrespect to Petey Williams or Ishimori or Phoenix, but Johnny Impact is a guy that you can sell to a mainstream audience. And so I thought the match was a great opener. Uh, there, were, there were some pretty unique spots. And, uh, yeah, it, it set me in the right mood. Like, if this was the appetizer, um, I'm thinking at this point in the night, John, that we're, we're, we're in for a hell of a meal. Did you think after this first match that this crowd was going to stay at this pace uh, throughout the show? And just uh, some of your overall thoughts on this uh, Toronto crowd that – I thought it was going to be interesting to see how many of these people were just going to a show because it's wrestling in the city versus being very familiar with the Impact product itself. Mm. Because Impact is on uh, the Fight Network and Game TV here in Canada, which are not your major sports networks. Uh, they're not anywhere near the level of homes of a pop TV. Far from it. Um, so that that was kind of interesting to see that you had um, pretty much like a hardcore wrestling base here that did seem familiar with all the characters up and down. So uh, educate me on this, John, because when we did Redemption, Redemption took place from Windsor, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, Redemption was fr- – God, I'll, uh, I'll look this up while you uh, – because <laughs> I have – I, I don't even because, think that one was in Canada, to be honest. I think that that was, uh, that was in Orlando. That was at the Impact. Really? Team. Yeah. Okay, then that makes a whole hell of a lot more sense. Because I was going to say, like, the, the distance between Windsor and Toronto shouldn't make that much of a difference in the crowd. And now that you're reminding me that, that uh, Redemption took place in Orlando, yes, everything makes sense. Because that was one of the things that hurt that show. If you remember when we were discussing it, yes. you know, the matches made a lot of sense. The the booking was solid, uh, but the crowd was just not there. And so to have a crowd that was actually there and invested and in, in wanting to be entertained, uh, I thought that it it made the show as good as the show is. And we'll talk about it, John. I thought that it elevated it because you could play this same entire card in front of that Orlando crowd, and I don't know if I would have the same opinion of the show coming out of it because the Toronto fans were, were really into it. Well, risky as well, Nate, that you you had a number of very violent matches on this show, and you could have run the risk of just wearing out the audience from seeing all of this violence. And I think they kind of secluded certain – like each one kind of uh, – was larger than the last spectacle they saw. And it, there's nothing to me more depressing than guys killing each other and no one is reacting. And they didn't have that problem at all on this show. And it felt like a hot product uh, throughout the night, I thought, from this crowd. Well, yeah, not only were each of the hardcore matches kind of different in their own way, but I think maybe just as important, John, they all had a story to them. Yes, and it wasn't just was dudes big, going big out key. there and wasn't just dudes going out there and hitting themselves. Each of them had a really good story behind it, I think. Uh, they did show Johnny Impact's uh, opening pitch uh, after the match, not before. Um, the biggest complaint I was seeing from people, and this was noticeable, particularly in the first two matches before I thought it was corrected, was some of the camera work. Like you had, first of all, I don't know why they had the yellow ropes. It just 
It was yeah. off, it was off brand. Uh, if anything, it's kind of just you know connecting your brain to an NXT product, and just strange that you would have uh, different colored ropes, and it was they were very noticeable on camera. Like it's a very loud color. And then the hard camera was elevated above the ring. So it's shooting mm-hmm. downward. And then you had the, uh, the cameraman on the floor that had this, this desire to just zoom in and out constantly. And it was very noticeable. I found Nate in the first two matches. And uh, to their credit, it seemed corrected afterwards because I wasn't noticing it, um, much beyond the first two matches, but it was pretty glaring. I thought at the beginning, uh, from a production standpoint. Yeah, and not just the the ropes and the camera work, but also I felt the lighting was a bit off too. It was early on. Yeah, it just and you could see it. That to me was throughout the night, where when they did close ups of guys, like they looked um, almost like the like green and yellowish on their faces from some of the lighting. Um, that yeah, I, I think from a production standpoint, there was certainly uh, stuff you could have a post mortem to discuss the actual uh, shooting of this show. But to their credit, though, by the end of the night. That was a minimum minimal complaint because what we got to see in terms of storytelling and in ring, it it more than made up for whatever production uh, deficiencies they had tonight. Second match was Tessa Blanchard taking on Allie. I expected Allie to be pretty popular on this show, uh, being a native of Toronto, uh, and she came out to a pretty good response. She hit the Alley Valley driver on the floor and continued with a backstabber in the ring. Then she hit a top rope. Frankensteiner, and I thought she broke her neck, Nate. She took, uh, she was the one that took this, uh, Frankensteiner, and the way she landed, it looked frightening. And to her credit, she seemed to be okay, and they just continued with the match. Uh, Blanchard hit a top rope leg drop, and then Allie recovered, came back with a code breaker, landed a super kick for a near fall, and then she went for another Alley Valley driver that Blanchard countered into the hammerlock DDT to win the match at 10.56, but uh, that to me was a scary part of the match, but thankfully she seemed to be okay. Yeah, I think they both worked really hard. Um, Allie, like you said, got a really good reaction. Uh, I am a big fan of what Tessa Blanche has been doing so far in the company, even though they've given her a couple losses, it hasn't, to me, hindered the character. Uh, this wasn't the greatest women's match I've ever seen, uh, but it it did what it needed to do. It you know, gave a gave him a good match, and it it uh, gave Tessa the win. My only small nitpick with this, John, is I don't know if I would have followed up that uh, opening match with this because mm. the crowd, while they were they were into this match somewhat, I thought they were super hot for that first match, and I don't know if if you would have wanted to keep that momentum cresting uh, upwards with with another similar match after that well, instead of a women's match. I I think they were really blessed with a great crowd tonight because something like this. Like they've beaten Tessa already, so I'm not really on this kick that they have to go above and beyond to protect Tessa after beating her already by Madison. And she's kind of in a nothing match on this show. And I felt with this so low on the card, have Allie win for this hometown yeah. crowd, just give them something happy to uh, to cheer for. But to be honest, like they did not have any backlash from this crowd. Like they were blessed <laughs> with a really a great crowd, even beating the hometown favorite um, early on in the show. Uh, the new interviewer, uh, Alicia Atout was backstage with Moose and he was, uh, decked out in a blazer right out of the Jeff Jarrett spring collection of, uh, Hall of Fame blazers. <laughs> he said, if you look good and you feel good, then you're going to perform good. And he had a great breakfast 
and look how he's dressed. And I guess little did Moose know, Nate. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to give uh, what what did you say uh, the interviewer's name was? Alicia Atout. She does uh, Alicia Atout. Yeah, she started her own YouTube channel and does tons of interviews with uh, bands and wrestlers, and now is uh, doing work with Impact. Okay, because yeah, I'd, I'd had no idea who this girl was, but I was watching the uh, pre-show on Twitch, uh, and. They had her like walking around the arena interviewing random fans, and that could have gone really bad. It could have gone sideways really quickly. Uh, but I thought she handled herself really well, and, and it was actually fairly entertaining seeing her kind of interact with the, the crowd at the arena. Was there anything significant on the pre-show or just kind of taking you into the arena and setting stuff up? Yeah, pretty much just, you know, old video packages that we've, we've seen already. And then her walking around the arena, taking us in, talking to the fans and, uh, you know, it's it's funny because I guess maybe I'm so used to the fans being interviewed from a w, WCW perspective from doing Keep It 2000 or even WWE from watching a lot of that where you get the obvious fan that is there to, you know, toe the company line. And this one, <laughs> I think it was a guy they, they talked to and she was asking him about uh, Austin Aries and Moose. And uh, she was like uh, – so who are you who are you here to see? And he's like, I'm a really big fan of Austin Aries. So you think he's going to win the title tonight? No, Moose is going to win. <laughs> really? Why do you think Moose is going to win? Well, because they've been pushing Moose really hard. And That's I think awesome. if, if he doesn't win, it, it kind of undermines the story. So I think it's time for Moose to win the belt. <laughs> Listen, in 2018, if you're interviewing fans cold on a pay-per-view, you're bound to run into that kind of an answer, uh, which I, I, I don't really even have that big of an issue with. I mean, it's... uh. It is what it is in this modern day. Eddie Edwards, Tommy Dreamer. I was a little surprised this was so early in the show. This has been yeah. maybe the you know third biggest buildup on the show in some ways. Uh, House of Hardcore match. Uh, so this feud uh, kind of splintered off from the Ed Eddie Edwards, Sammy Callahan feud. And Eddie Edwards has lost everybody around him, including his mentor, Tommy Dreamer, who he is now accusing of sleeping with his wife, Alicia. Um some people maybe are not as much into this. Like, this is kind of out there, but I think Eddie Edwards has been great. It This, to me, has been the character work um, that he has always, to me, been the weakest part of his game, has been promos. And here he is doing full-on acting uh, to get this character across as this guy who's just been driven to the edge and over the edge by hatred. And uh, there was a tremendous promo on TV a few weeks ago by Tommy Dreamer that um, that's one thing on Impact is you do have some great promos up and down the card. Yeah, and, and props to the company for not giving up on this thing because when it first started, even back before Redemption, I was kind of, eh, you know, kind of hit and miss with it. But when we got to Redemption and we got that big angle in the match with Sammy Callahan where, you know, he ended up hitting his wife on accident, uh, you know, you saw them take the story to a, to a different level. And I've really enjoyed what they've done with, uh, Eddie and, and Tommy here. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but it, it feels almost like it's not exactly the same because you don't have the Hardys, but this is kind of the, the environment that allowed the broken universe to kind of flourish. And while it's not exactly the same, there are some notes of that still on the show, whether you talk about, uh, you know, the Eddie Edwards stuff or even like the LAX stuff has more of a hyper realistic vibe to it or, or the Sue Young stuff, even though I know that's not your cup of tea, John, I, I still think that these, 
people in the production tr- uh, crew and uh, in, in the writing room, they are taking chances and not all of them pay off. But I think enough of them hit that we get a different kind of uh, brand of storytelling than we get from uh, the WWE. Well, it's it's a credit I give to Impact is that they know they have to be different and they are trying things. They are not staying to a, a very rigid playbook of things that we, we've seen in the history of Impact trying to be a WWE light version. Yep. That did not yield results, and they are trying different things that would never work in a WWE environment. Like it would, there are instances like this Eddie Edwards stuff. I don't think you could pull this off with uh, even a great actor in the WWE, someone that is tremendous at um, acting. That I think you could pull that off in a believable fashion. And in Impact, they've been able to create this world that they're to me is a further suspension of disbelief than in a WWE world where. Uh, so often, like it's such a big turnoff when they when they go outside their comfort zone. Yep. Uh, immediately, the audience um, they started to introduce weapons, and I thought they were smart by teasing a lot of violent stuff, but not really doing anything too crazy. Like they they teased the staple gun and simulated the use of it. They uh, brought in a kendo stick. And it was a lot of teasing stuff, but it was nothing that it was so violent um, that it was going to overshadow anything left to come. Uh, one f- uh, weapon that was used was a ECW <laughs> replica title that Dreamer grabbed, which um, I don't know what the legalities of that would be, Nate, of, you know, putting a competitor's uh, intellectual property onto your pay-per-view. I mean, there have been lawsuits in the past o- over this kind of stuff. I was going to say, if anybody would, would know about the, those type of wranglings, I, I would suspect these people would. Uh, Edwards was cut open. This was after the staple gun shot when he went for a sunset flip. Uh, Edwards was the one that introduced the gun, but it was Dreamer that used it. Uh, so Edwards is bleeding from the forehead and starts smiling and wiping it around his face. The audience was really behind Dreamer, chanting his name, chanting ECW. They set up two chairs side by side as, as they fought on the turnbuckle, and uh, it ended up with a low blow and then Dreamer hitting a Spicoli driver through the chairs, which Edwards kicked out of. Dreamer then brought a table in with lighter fluid. Again, just teasing something crazy. And Edwards hit him with a low blow and DDT, followed by a shining wizard into the chair to Dreamer's face and pinned him at 11 minutes and nine seconds. Uh, before we get to the post-match uh, stuff that did involve Alicia Edwards, um, how did you think this was uh, this was executed? This was what I would describe as our first of three kind of violent or hardcore matches that I was kind of curious going into the show how they were going to differentiate the three. I really like this match. And as you know, John, we've talked about this before. I'm not the biggest fan of, of these hardcore matches. Uh, but this was, as you mentioned, a very safe hardcore match. Like it, it put the imagery of of this really brutal, violent match in your mind. But if you really kind of step back and look at what Tommy and Eddie actually did, they were very safe with each other. Um, I thought that, you know, the crowd involvement was great. I loved a little bit with the ECW title. Um, and I think maybe for Impact, a good takeaway from this is at the beginning of the match, like you said, there were a lot of Tommy Dreamer chants, a lot of ECW chants. But by the time we got around to the finish, you know, we were getting Impact Wrestling chants, which I don't know the last time I've heard those chants in an unironic way, John Paul. Hey, honestly, have you ever heard, in, you know, the, the post-TNA branding, I can't remember an Impact Wrestling chant. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that this was a really good showing by both guys. And 
it continued the momentum of this show. Yeah, so afterwards, Edwards is crying. He lifted Dreamer after the match, and Dreamer offers his hand. And Edwards is staring at him. Alicia runs down, telling Eddie, it's over. Shake his hand. And Dreamer had the kendo stick. He handed it to Edwards, and this was supposed to be symbolic of Dreamer passing the torch to Eddie Edwards. And notable that Edwards remained in the ring, clutching this kendo stick, uh, while Alicia left without him. And... Yeah, I thought that they they teased a lot in this match. The audience enjoyed it. It told the story, and you also were left, you know, with with plenty that you could do in the forthcoming matches. That you didn't blow out everything in this match because that was my fear that you do ten million weapon shots, and then we were going to come back with tons of it uh, later. So I, I thought they they laid it out well here. But this also positions Eddie Edwards for you know something bigger because this kind of felt like the writing out of Tommy Dreamer. I really like this post-match stuff, John. I, I thought that, again, it's kind of that pushing the limits and, and taking a risk with your storytelling. The fact that not only did we have this guy crying in the middle of the ring, but we had him being vulnerable to Tommy Dreamer. And then Tommy Dreamer, you know, who has been fed up with this guy who who thought that, you know, Eddie wasn't paying attention to him. He wasn't listening to his advice. You know, Tommy Dreamer has this moment where he kind of turns around and he's got the candlestick, stick and you're like, is he going to prolong this feud or is somebody going to stop the hate? And, and, you know, he goes over and, and puts the candlestick stick in, in Edward's hands and we get the passing of the, the proverbial torch. And I, I just enjoyed this ending because there's a lot of ways you can spin Eddie Edwards out off of this because, you know, by the end of this, he's kind of a baby face. He's kind of the new Tommy dreamer. And so it's like, where do, where do we go from here? How does Alicia figure into this? I, I, I'm interested now. You've got me hooked to see where this story goes. Yeah. And, and where you go with Eddie Edwards, who I think has been one of the, the biggest bright spots of impact this year. And this kind of wraps up that feud. And I hope they don't go right back to Sammy Callahan. They could always go that direction, but I think that you're kind of positioning Eddie Edwards even higher at this point where, Maybe he is paired into uh, a main event position, uh, something like that. But uh, they really honestly, set- Eddie Edwards should be—he uh, should be the Punisher right now. He should be Frank Castle. He should be the anti-hero of Impact Wrestling, where he's not fully this white meat baby face, but he's not the deranged heel that he has been over the past six months. Like he should be somebody that likes to fight. And uh, yeah, I don't want, really want to see him go back to Sammy Callahan, but I think he should be like just kicking people's asses. That should be Eddie Edwards' role for the next little while. Yeah, because it's really hard to just paint him as a heel because he's always had this, you know, the justification for his actions that everyone has seen based off of this, you know, he was he's nearly uh, deca- he's destroyed by this uh, baseball shot to the face um, that, you know, you haven't gone the full route with him down the heel path that you can kind of be creative with the character of whichever direction you go with with them. And again, props to TNA for taking that that spot, which I still think, even with the benefit of hindsight, John, was one of the dumbest spots I've ever seen. They took that and made this great story out of that. So you got to tip your cap to them. Next up, we uh, had Matt Seidel cut a promo that everyone thinks he's uh, being led to slaughter against Brian Cage. He's going to prove them wrong. And he defended his X Division title against Brian Cage. Uh, 
not um not a very deep buildup for this match. It's kind of Brian Cage is the monster running through everyone, and Matt Seidel is the first champion he's facing. Um, Seidel did this cool spot at the beginning where he applied a head scissors and then released it while he was doing a headstand on the edge of the apron. <laughs> uh, so early on, Cage is trying to land all his power spots. So Seidel has to use his speed and athleticism uh, to land his own offense in. Uh, Cage got out of the way of a shooting star press and landed a discus clothesline. Uh, the drill claw got countered midway with a Rana from Matt Seidel. And then Seidel, he dove off the top and was caught in a vertical suplex position. And this was just incredible. Like just the how seamlessly they pulled this off. Uh, Seidel came off the top later with another shooting star press, but his feet clipped the top rope, crashed down to the mat, and Cage followed with the drill claw to win the match at 9.47. And I thought athletically this was a, a really great match between the two. Um, I think they could even do, uh, do more if they had uh, kind of a program that was a bit more concentrated and stuff. But I enjoy these two. I just... I haven't been big on Matt Seidel's character in kind of this this role he's been placed in. And it looks like Brian Cage, they're just uh, holding back to be a really big main event player, but can kind of take part in the X division for the time being. I was never a big fan of Brian Cage, John Pollock, until I guess it was the match with Lashley, one of Lashley's last matches in Impact. Mm -hmm. And... I was like, okay, because to me, he was just a, you know, just a Haas. Just there was there was nothing special about him. But I think the more they've allowed him to show his athleticism, I have been more and more impressed with this dude. And I think he had a really great match, I want to say a month ago, on Impact against Desmond Xavier, uh, which showed me he could kind of be this not about weight limits, it's about no limits, throwback X Division monster. And so, yeah, I, I was here for this match. I thought both guys worked really hard. Uh, Seidel, weak gimmick aside, uh, has always been quality in the ring. And I thought that, you know, he and Cage put together a really good match. The only thing, John, and, and I don't want to spoil the ending for those that haven't uh, fully watched the pay-per-view yet, but I think that this is a short-term thing for Brian Cage because I've Judging by what happened at the end of the night, I think we might see uh, option C being invoked in the near future. Yeah, well, once you got through the main event, I don't think too many people were expecting that main event finish. That, uh, yeah, by the end of this night, they might be. Um, it, this might be a really quick pit stop for Brian Cage before he is uh, thrust into the uh, the main event position. It's a great point. Austin Aries was, was interviewed. Uh, one thing consistent is that uh, he cut a lot of great promos on television leading into this match uh, with Moose. Uh, this was another one ending with him stating, what will Moose's third career be after mm. he fails at this one, just like he did at football? And man, these promos are kind of puzzling in hindsight. <laughs> <laughs> we will get there. Sue Young versus Madison Rain for the knockouts title. Uh, Nate, tell me about your uh, your impressions of this feud because I liked how this mat this feud began, where Madison Rain had this unexpected comeback. She won some matches, got a shot at the knockouts title. She's going for one more title reign to uh, show her daughter that she can be competitive and become a champion. And then we went into the, the, the netherworld where, mm. where, where suddenly Madison Rain is leaving interview segments to go into Narnia and find <laughs> Sue Young and the bridesmaids. And then she attended her own funeral on Thursday. Uh, I don't know. There's 
there's kind of a limit for me. Um, I thought these things were shot really well, and for what they were, I, I thought aesthetically um, they were done very well. But this to me was kind of my my lucha lucha underground too far for me to mm. be able to really comprehend. But hey, if you think otherwise, uh, do share your your thoughts on this feud. Now I'm I'm kind of in the same boat with you, John. I think they are very well produced, but. You're telling two different stories. You've got Sue Young, who is all about, you know, the supernatural and the, the mysticism and the character. Where, and then you've got this really grounded story with Madison Rain. And I don't think they quite found the right mix. Also, I wasn't too keen on this pairing on this show anyway, because, and it's nothing against Madison Rain, but I thought they, they ended the Rosemary feud way too soon. I thought there was a lot more they could have done with that. I think they rushed it. Uh, but, you know, that's neither here nor there, but he, we are where we are now. And so Rosemary also got hurt, so she's kind of not available at the at the moment either. Like it, it did feel as though that's something that they've they've left on the back burner, but she's going to yeah. be on a long time as well. And then they like they also kind of flipped the alley thing too, because the alley went to the dark side, and now she's not dark anymore. So the, the, it, it feels very much like they, after Rosemary got hurt, they're trying to find the right pairing for Sue. I don't think it was Alley. I don't quite think it was Madison Rain. I, I honestly I don't know who it is because it's it's not Kira Hogan, it's not Tessa Blanchard. I think you need to have the right character. It's not just about the end ring with Sue Young. In fact, I'd say the end ring is the least important thing when when you're doing an angle with, with Sue Young. It's about can you get me to buy into the story and the theatrics? And unfortunately they didn't with this one. Yeah, you had the a young come out in a casket with the undead bridesmaids, and you had the audience kind of siding with Sue Young in this match. Uh, one of the bridesmaids because it's up- a really cool visual, like it's a really cool uh, entrance. And then yeah, if if I'm coming into this, I'm somebody in Toronto who just happened to hear about a show tonight, and I figured I'd come see what what this was all about. And I just am presented with Madison Rain and Sue Young. I'm I'm going to be more drawn to Sue Young because she's a more visually compelling and arresting character. Uh, one of the bridesmaids gets onto the apron and Young sprayed red mist, missed Madison and took out the bridesmaid. And then Young got her blood stained glove, which Rain avoided at first and then callous sighted Young's otherworldly recuperative powers that she was able to demonstrate after taking a cutter. And Young stopped an inverted DDT by using the glove as a mandible claw was applied. Uh, Rain's eyes rolled back and she passed out at 647. So Sue Young retains the title. Um, you know, from a, from a match quality standpoint, I think this was the weakest match on the show. And to me, the jarring part as well, Nate, and I think this is completely fair criticism because they introduced it, uh, rather than me nitpicking, but on Thursday's, uh, funeral segment, uh, for those that missed it, Madison Rain, it's like she goes into this, uh, deep sleep and she's attending a funeral that is the reveal is her own body is in the coffin and they've mm-hmm. got these photos around the funeral home. One of them being Madison with her husband, Josh Matthews to convey that this is someone that ha- knows all about Madison and it's revealing the fact that these two are married. So yep. when I see that on the go home show and then here, Madison is being placed into a coffin afterwards and Josh Matthews is just calling this normally. Like, am <laughs> I to not like you watch this show Am I supposed to believe that these are not married characters on the show? Because that was introduced on Thursday and then ignored here with the way Josh called this. And 
just called it like anyone else. Like his wife is being carted off in a coffin here, and Josh is getting ready for his next plug he's got to work in. Yeah, to me that that took away from this as well because not even just talking about the the ending angle, but when he, he's in the match and Callis is talking about how Madison wants to be a role model for her daughter. And uh, you've got Josh Matthews over here. Yes, Madison Rain's daughter is at home watching this right now. Like, that's your daughter too, buddy. Like, th- it felt like it, it felt like this is one of the areas where, as opposed to Josh being a heel announcer uh, a year ago, this was the right pl- a- application for him to get involved with a storyline. This was the right place for him to be emotionally invested, maybe even to the point where he couldn't call this down the middle and Callis has to kind of rein him back in. Yeah, it's like up until Thursday, it's always been this wink-wink thing. Like when Madison would sit in or yeah. Callis would work in a little – it was like an, a wink to the crowd. At yeah, Madison that, Reigns, your favorite knockout, huh, Josh? Exactly. Stuff like that that <laughs> I can understand. Okay, we are not establishing their marriage on television. It's like those that are, that know, okay, there's a wink for you. But on Thursday, it was – included like that was introduced as part of the story so it's very hard to uh go back after you have done that um so in in a nutshell eh, the photo to me just shouldn't have been there in the segment because now you've introduced a element of the story that now you're actively ignoring in this santana and ortiz versus hernandez and homicide in a street fight um believe the tag titles were on the line here. Uh, I had some people uh, questioning if they were, but I was fairly certain they were in the end. didn't really matter. Um, I thought this was a really simple and effective feud. And it was carried by Conan and Eddie Kingston cutting some great promos, very simple story. Conan was attacked and he found out that his, his former, uh, his former team were behind it. And his protege was the one who carried out the hit in Eddie Kingston. So, um, yeah, it seemed like there was a lot of uh, a lot of buzz for this this tag match and just a very simple storyline reminiscent of the uh, 1988 feud with the the Midnight Express and the original Midnights. Yeah, that's have- a good that's a good comparison. Like this to me, John was the actually you know no disrespect to Aries and Moose or, or Callahan and, and Pentagon. This was the match I might have been looking the most forward to tonight because really? I thought they did a really good job of setting up the story. Uh, plus. I was always a fan of the original LAX homicide and, and Hernandez. And so to see them back in this setting going up against ostensibly their replacements, I thought like it's an automatic hook. And when you got Conan and, and Eddie as the mouthpieces, I was, I was really looking forward to seeing what they were going to be able to do with this uh, street fight. Yeah. Santana and Ortiz got a different entrance and they came out with face paint. And this was the match. They, they reserved the ladders and tables for this match. Um, so Santana avoided a border toss from Hernandez early, uh, landed a Topicon hero to Hernandez. Uh, they exchanged tons of trash can lid shots to the head, uh, probably more than they needed to do. Uh, Hernandez delivered a tope to Santana Ortiz on the floor. Then Eddie Kingston introduced a bottle of Drano into the ring. Thankfully, just to tease this, we did not have anyone pouring Drano down anyone's throat, uh, but it was teased. Uh, but he was stopped before he could pour it. The four men, uh, they went to the entrance, uh, fought around there. Ortiz brought a ladder into the ring, and then Santana let it, landed a quebrada onto Hernandez on top of the ladder. And then we had Homicide 
go through the ropes with a Topekan hero crashing through a table that just exploded uh, as it was set up against the uh, barricade. Uh, Ortiz then took Homicide, put him through a table in the corner. Hernandez returned and put Ortiz through with a border toss. And again, we got an impact wrestling chant. And as Homicide set up for the gringo killer, he was distracted by Conan on the apron. And Homicide spat towards Conan. Conan threw a bag of thumbtacks for Ortiz to use on Homicide, including throwing them at his face, and then hit a top rope splash, pinning Homicide. 13 minutes, 33 seconds. Um, very different from the Dreamer and Edwards match. And again, they had the audience the entire way through this. I thought this was just a great brawl and really established Santana and Ortiz with this victory. I thought this was a great use of bringing someone back in the case of Hernandez and Homicide and putting the focus on your regular tag team in Ortiz and Santana. And this, to me, was a really effective program for the two and might even be continuing after this. This was a really fun match, John. I think that they did, like you said, they did a great job of putting over the young guys, but at the same time, they kept the original LAX strong. And I do think we're going to get more of this. I'm looking forward to more of this. Uh, I was surprised Conan got as physical as he did in the end. I think, uh, I think they're building, they're going to eventually do him and Eddie Kingston. I think that mm. that's kind of, you know, the fact that Conan just did, granted it was a battle royal, but he did do a match on Thursday for MLW. He recently had his hip surgery that, I'm sure he's looking at doing, you know, you build it up big. Like, that shouldn't happen till Bound for Glory. But I got the sense mm. after this, they did the three-on-one beatdown on Conan. They knocked him out cold, and then they spray-painted the tag titles. Um, I get the sense they're either going to do a three-on-three match or Conan and Kingston. Maybe it's for the best that they do three-on-three. Three, uh, but I, I see this continuing and ultimately Conan being involved in a match. Yeah, that, that could be really fun. I, I thought that, man... Hernandez and Homicide for being out of impact for, for so long. I thought they fit right back in. Uh, they had good chemistry with, uh, Santana and Ortiz. Uh, there were some really crazy spots. I, I loved the, I think maybe my favorite thing about this match, John, was just the, the emotions of, of, of Hernandez after he hit a big spot and <laughs> he, he had like he the loves, little gimbal dance. To, yeah. He loves to reflect on his work. Yes, the very almost like a Jose Bautista bat flip, if you will. Uh, he was admiring his own work, but uh, yeah, I, I thought it, it was good to establish uh, the new LAX and and really put them over. And yeah, I'm I came in with high expectations for this match, and they were met. I, I was very pleased with the way that they pulled this one off. Yeah, and then they did the angle afterwards, so the original LAX and Eddie Kingston still left with their heat, and it feels like this is definitely going to continue. Sammy Callahan, Pentagon Jr., hair versus mask, um, really big built up match, uh, over the last, uh, several weeks. Uh, some really great promos from Sammy Callahan and conversely, I think from Pentagon Jr. as well. Um, you know, I wrote about this in my preview, the fact that, you know, it seems like it is so difficult, the WWE's handling of Asuka on the main roster. And I compare her a lot to Pentagon in the sense that here you have two performers that are limited with their lack of English. However, they are tremendously charismatic performers. And here we're seeing Pentagon Jr. that the English barrier is not a barrier at all for him. He is, like you could argue, he was the most over guy on this show. And we've seen Asuka get over at the NXT level, and it's just... And floundering on the main roster. And it's, it's just interesting to compare the two that I, I never look at the lack of, uh, speaking English to be 
a hindrance. Uh, if someone is charismatic, it's it's not part and parcel with being able to speak English and thriving on a English speaking product. And honestly, if if you're trying to get me emotionally invested in this story about his mask, I think the little vignettes and the little uh, pre uh, staged interviews they did with him with the subtitles, they make me care more because it's quieter. And I have to pay attention more. And I have to actually read and see what the man is saying. And, and the way they produced those packages, I thought, yeah, if, if, if you're somebody coming into this cold, just by watching the build up to this and, and seeing how they, they portrayed Pentagon, yeah, you're behind him. Even if you don't know who he is and even if you, uh, don't speak Spanish, you, you can still get behind this dude. Yeah. I, you know, given where everything went in the main event, I would have had no issue if they closed the show with this. Um, this was, um, mm. I, I think many people are going to peg this as, as match of the night. Um, it started off just with, with chops and included Callahan unzipping his protective vest to just let Pentagon chop him for whatever reason. Uh, and then we just started building up to violent. This was our very violent match of the night. Callahan yeah. introduced tons of chairs, throwing them into the ring. And then he grabbed a pair of what was described by the commentators as railroad spikes like these long spikes and Callahan tries to rip open the mask of Pentagon so he could stab him with the spike. And this led to Pentagon bleeding. Then Callahan tied Pentagon's mask to the top rope to grab a baseball bat. Pentagon kicked him away and got free uh, from the, the top rope uh, mask being tied and Pentagon grabbed the spikes and started driving them into Callahan's forehead. And it led to both men bleeding and they each got a spike and just repeatedly stabbed each other in the forehead over and over and over again. <laughs> Nate, what was going through your mind here? Because I'll tell you what was going through their <laughs> minds. Spikes. Uh, I don't know if this is a subtle uh, reference to Spike TV, their former television partner. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Trust me, it was more painful, the, uh, the exit from Spike TV, than this was for these guys. But, yeah, I was – this was maybe the the one point on the show where I was like, "Ooh, that that might be a little too far." Like uh, everything else that that has been quote unquote hardcore has felt within the bounds of okay, you know that's that's visually impressive, but it's pretty safe practically. Uh, whereas this, I was like, "Yeah, you know, one slip we saw it with the bat with Eddie Edwards, uh, one slip and this could go really bad, fellas." Well, even. Even in protecting one another, not actually jamming each other with spikes, I can see this spot taking a lot of people out of the match. Like, this is just too silly for them. Um, but listen, this audience went nuts for all of this. And this was, this was treated like a fry Takayama spot, but instead with spikes instead <laughs> with of spikes. <laughs> uh, closed fists. Um, the Chris brothers appeared and remember the fact they are selling broken arms from television as well. And you could see it like the announcers brought up the fact that they have broken arms and you could see them grabbing their arms as they were trying to run in. So that's backup you want to have guys with broken arms, no slings, but we're still <laughs> selling them. Uh, Callahan threw powder into Pentagon's eyes, which led to Pentagon attacking the referee, Johnny Bravo, snapping his arm, and then he grabbed Callahan with the Pentagon driver, but the referee has a broken arm, so he can't count. It was also established early on that they stated the referee is going to be very liberal with enforcing the rules, which I will say he took liberal to New Heights way. Uh, way, Nate, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's very late. <laughs> Hey, I've been called worse, John Pollock. That, that's an that's an honor to to be con, confused with that man called Ting. 
Uh, it's, it's, it's tough to get way off the brain. But uh, yes, this was a very liberal referee. He was on the far left uh, <laughs> when it came to... This was... Is he saying he was the Rachel Maddow of, of referees? Oh, yes. The Michael Moore of referees. <laughs> uh, but I, I really like that spot, though, with uh, Pentagon and the ref, because it made the, the visual pinfalls and, and the near falls make more sense. Like, I, I didn't have to buy that, you know, the ref was was over here knocked out or, or, or you know, otherwise indisposed. You know, he there's a legitimate reason why he can't make the pin. And then Callahan got... Um got uh, affected by the arm snap as well because he came back with a pile driver on top of a chair and this time another referee runs in but pentagon kicks out callahan then set up four chairs in the middle of the ring and proceeded to lift pentagon on top pentagon stopped him hit the package pile driver everyone thinks it's done callahan kicks out and he's foaming at the mouth Callahan then spits at Pentagon. He gets super kicked. Pentagon snaps his arm. One final package pile driver wins the match at 18 minutes and nine seconds. Uh, this was easily the most violent thing on the show. And as I said, I think most people are going to pick this as their match of the night. Like this seemed to be just, I just saw everyone raving about this. Um, mm. and you know what? Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of these crazy violent matches, but this one had it was the case of all of them. They had these long built up stories behind yep. them and selling these grudges. Like I never felt this stuff was some of it. You can maybe argue was gratuitous at times, but I never really felt that way for, for a lot of stuff. Like it was all done with like this deep seated hatred um, mm. that they've put stock into building up at, rather than just throwing two guys into a match, let them have a hardcore match. And it's kind of a cheap way to get over with the crowd. That was not the case with any of these matches that had, significant stories behind them yeah it wasn't just violence for violence sake there was emotion behind it there was history behind it and in this match not only did we have you know the the violence but we also had like some really cool moves and i think that's what you get when you put a performer like pentagon and even sammy callahan in a hardcore match they can kind of elevate the form uh, this was a really strong match. It might be my favorite match on the show, although I really did uh, love that LAX match. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you had two back-to-back, -back, two examples of a hardcore match being more than just a slugfest that is not really emotionally investing. I, I thought that uh, this was a really good match, and the right guy won. Like, I, I would have been upset had, <laughs> had Callahan won. Well, it's one of those things where some people will say, oh, it's so predictable. Like, I always hear that as this negative. I mean, there was no way Pentagon was being unmasked on this show in no. Toronto. It was not happening. And that, to me, it didn't affect anyone's enjoyment of this match. And everyone was into it. They got into the near falls. It was a totally enjoyable match. And this, you could argue, was the most predictable finish on the show. That Pentagon was not going to yeah. be unmasked here. So, um, yeah, it, it tells you when you have a great story and two significantly over characters, and you could argue this is the most over babyface and heel meeting on this show, um, that, um, you know, people were just into it because they wanted to see a payoff and they got one here. They teased it with Callahan, uh, fleeing to the back, but then it was brought back out by Phoenix and, uh, Phoenix and Pentagon reigned supreme. They fought off the Chris brothers and then they shaved Callahan's head. Everyone got to see it. It wasn't the, oh, let's build up the TV rating and everyone mm -hmm. has to wait for TV to see the, uh, the payoff. No, you got it for your money. You got to see the, the shaved head. You got the payoff and 
that's the way from uh, I believe to do these uh, is give your your paying audience what they they paid to see and not worry about uh, building up uh, a TV rating coming out of it, which so often happens with these hair matches. That's a great point because I truly believe when Callahan escaped uh, after the Chris brothers interfered, I thought they were going to save this for an impact on Thursday. And I was like, mm, that's, that's a bad way to end this great match. But then when you have uh, Phoenix come out and help his brother and then they give the people what they want, give the people what they ostensibly paid for. Uh, I was like, okay, T- TNA is learning or impact is learning. It, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when, whenever my nieces come to town and they've learned something new since the last time I seen them, it, it's, it gives me a sense of pride as an uncle, you know, that, that they understand different words and definitions and, and they can do math problems that they couldn't do the last time I saw them. So to see TNA or impact wrestling actually have a payoff, on the pay-per-view, it, it made my heart uh, swell with pride. Don Callis called it one of the best and most brutal matches he has ever seen. And the announcers were putting the match over big. And then came the announcement for Bound for Glory, which will be yes. sun- Sunday, October the 14th in Queens, New York at the Melrose Ballroom, which is the same venue that MLW just ran this past Thursday for their Battle Riot show. Um, so they will be there. And... Uh, that same weekend, uh, Bellator is running two cards in the Northeast. They're going to be uh, doing the semifinals of their heavyweight Grand Prix. So Friday night, they're in Uncasville, Connecticut. And then Saturday, the night before Bound for Glory, they're running Long Island uh, with uh, Fedor Emelianenko against Chael Sonnen. So okay. um, a lot going on in uh, the Northeast uh, on that particular weekend. Uh, so, Nate, did this did this make you want to uh, check your air miles at all? I mean, was this enough of a show? It's like, wow, that Melrose Ballroom sounds more attractive tonight than it did yesterday. I mean, it, it did. I I haven't booked my flight yet, but uh, I was one because that's one of the things I wanted to ask you, John. Coming because we saw what this show was, we saw what Redemption was. Uh, do you think that this is a good move? This is a good next step for the company to to try to get more fan base, get uh, you know, get more momentum. Uh, to use a, a key word of the times, uh, momentum coming off this show and, and try to build up that fan base in New York. I do. I think they're running a very conservative sized venue. They're not booking some crazy big arena. This isn't, this isn't even something crazy like the Hammerstein ballroom, which I, I feel okay. would, would be, uh, kind of above where they, they're at now. Um, you know, the Hammerstein is like a 2000 seater. Maybe you could argue that that's kind of the next level, but I, I think that, um, a hot New York crowd, um, impact you're hoping has a little bit of buzz coming out of this show and hopefully they can continue that trend going into October. So uh, I think just the idea that you can get several hundred people paying for tickets to an impact wrestling show, that alone to me is a pretty, significant step forward because they were not in that position at the beginning of this year where you could imagine them like remember when they tried out house shows a year ago and that ended really quick because they could not sell tickets and you can argue that you know tonight's show was not the the biggest attended show in the weren't world. They at, at, uh, at Redemption, weren't they paying people to, to be in the audience? That was Bound for Glory. That was the one in Ottawa last yes, year. And yes. yeah, they had a company for professional seat fillers that were going out. Think about that as compared to tonight. Um, you know, having people hired to sit in the seats that have no connection to your product, that are just there. I mean, that to me is just the, at what point are you just shaking your head at like, what are we doing? Um, 
as compared to now. So you have to look at those gains they've made. As as small as they may be in the grand scheme of things, it is a step forward. So I, I think that, you know, for something like the Melrose Ballroom, I don't know the exact capacity, but I think that that's kind of the level of venue you should be shooting for. Main event time. Uh, how did you feel after that main event going into this this title match? Because the audience had just seen quite a lot. And uh, heading into this title match, um, I, I guess just uh, what did you think uh, exhaustion-wise? Uh, was this crowd going to be able to hold up for the main event? Honestly, by this point, I thought the crowd was going to be there for the main event. I thought if there was any point where they were going to fall off, it would have happened already. Uh, I thought, you know, the the... Tessa Blanchard alley match could have been a point where they fell off or even the Sue Young match. Cause I think the two women's matches were probably the weakest points on the show. Uh, but the crowd was there for them through both of those matches. So I was like, if they've been here the entire night, I think unless they screw it up, they'll be here for the main event. Main event time. Austin Aries and Moose. This had been the big program built up on television. Moose had gone off TV to prepare for Austin Aries and train. They brought out Curtis Granderson of the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, who's not available in 1994 on Baseball Mogul, uh, as the presenter of the title for the winner of tonight's match. And uh, Moose, uh, they started off and they were going at a pretty fast pace. And I thought this was a great contrast from all the hardcore matches you had seen on the show. This was just, it was a wrestling match. Um, they did go to the, uh, they brawled on the floor and around, around the ring, but this was uh, a big difference, uh, which is probably the best way to follow a match like Sammy Callahan and Pentagon. Uh, crowd was behind Moose and Moose was just taking all of his strikes and walking through them until Aries poked him in the eyes. Moose then caught him with a snake eyes and hit his go-to-hell sit-out powerbomb for a two-count. And uh, later in the match, Moose went for a spear. It's countered into the last chancery. And then they go to the edge of the apron, and Aries hits a Death Valley driver and follows with that crazy suicide dive he does just at breakneck speed. Uh, Aries then used the referee to distract so he could kick him low. And I guess his low blow didn't have much effect because Moose just hit him with a brain buster right away. And... I really liked this match, but I also felt that this was a 25-minute match that they were racing to do in 15 at different mm. times. Like, they were going so quick, and there were big moves. Like, the spot where Aries is military-pressed off the apron yeah. uh, in into the crowd. Like, I'm sitting there writing my notes. I look up. Aries is, like, making his comeback on the ramp immediately after taking this giant spot off the ramp and thrown into the crowd onto these plants that were there. And it just seemed like they were trying to cram everything in. Like it, it really did have the feeling at times, Nate of a match that um, was scheduled for longer. And they were just trying to get in as much like they went right up until 11 o'clock pretty well yep. before they got off the air. Yeah. And, and unlike, uh, you know, some of the WWE shows, they don't have the luxury of being on their own network. So 11 o'clock means 11 o'clock. Uh, but yeah, it felt like, this was this is a really good match. I it, think it was. It was a very. It wasn't good match. the best match on the show, but I think that had they given a lot of these big moves and big spots more time to breathe, it could have been even better. Like I think one of my favorite spots. I don't know if you got into it yet, John, is when Aries hits Moose with the brainbuster on the outside. Yeah, this this was after he hit this running drop kick off the ramp, and he crashes to the floor, and then followed it with a brainbuster on the floor. And again, like Moose is just taking these two huge spots and then he's getting right back into the ring. Yep. Um, you know, all their stuff was on point. Um, it just, at certain times, it just felt like 
you just wanted it, this match to breathe a little um, for maximum. Yeah, because like that, that spot, like that spot to me, it should have been. He should have been out there on the floor for you know at least thirty seconds when the Aries keeps trying to go out there and do more damage, and the ref keeps pulling them back and have to having to restart the ten count. But yeah, that it was like. Is Moose going to get back on his feet? I'm like, yeah, Moose is going to get back on his feet because I'm looking at the clock and we've only got, you know, eight minutes left <laughs> until 11 o'clock. So, yeah, Moose is going to get back in the ring. Uh, but I, I definitely think that this is a match. Had, had they known I, I, how good the rest of the show was going to be, I think they might have they might have they might have eliminated uh, the Tessa Blanchard match. Because it really wasn't necessary. And you could have put it, you could have found another spot for Allie, you know, on, on the show. Yeah, realistically, like that was a match that was just thrown together that you almost could have put that on as like a pre-show match for the Twitch stream and just, you know, the audience will go nuts for Allie and it's not a match that has a ton of storyline implication. Um, It's tough, obviously. It was, you know, a three-hour show with eight matches. You would think everything would be paced well. Um, The one spot with Curtis Granderson was when Aries grabbed the title, brought it into the ring. Granderson yanked it back, and it set up a schoolboy near fall (laughs) by Moose. And then Aries kicked out, hit a brain buster. One, two, three. He pins Moose. Uh, Unlike most of this card that I think you could see the direction they were going, this one totally stunned me. Uh, 1547. Uh, it was a very good match. I would say one of Moose's best matches I've seen him have. Um, Aries is a great heel champion, but everything from the buildup, Moose training for this match to D'Angelo Williams on TV to Curtis mm-hmm. Granderson coming to present the title. This just seemed as though this was one of those, and I don't know this for a fact, but it felt like one of those the day of the show, they just decided to go with a different outcome. Whether they felt that there weren't enough heels ready for Moose, uh, they had a lot of baby faces for Aries. I don't know what the thinking was, but it just felt like this was Moose's night to win and have his big coronation as the new champion. So I was very surprised by this. It felt like Bobby Roode and James Storm at different times when they were yep. built up for big matches and then they failed at at the big match. And that can be tough for a baby face to uh, be built up so strong. And then ultimately fail and also clean. This was not a, this wasn't with underhanded tactics or anything. It was Aries defended his belt and beat him clean. I definitely get the Bobby Roode and James Storm comparison. I'll give you another one, John. And it, it might even be a little bit more on the nose given the professional football backgrounds, but this felt a lot like when Monty Brown was really hot in TNA mm-hmm. and they were grooming him to beat Jeff Jarrett for the title. And then they never pulled the trigger on it. And Monty Brown never really kind of recovered. Like he was, he was always good, but you didn't give a damn about Monty Brown after that. Uh, and so I hope they don't do the same thing with Moose. I thought it was a good match. Obviously, I love Austin Aries. He is one of the main reasons why I started watching Impact again uh, when he returned. Uh, and obviously, you know, he's a better pro wrestler than Moose. But I think the story dictated that Moose win tonight. I think. The, like you said, all the pieces were there. You know, we, the crowd was solidly behind him. You know, we, we brought the Grandy Man in for, for, you know, that, that sports connection. So I, while I, I think it was a really good match, I also think that as good as the show was, you could have left it on an even higher level if you had that big crowning achievement at the end with Moose finally achieving his dream. Yeah. I just think, um, you know, we'll see how they follow this up with, but man, I, this just felt like one of those where 
enough people maybe thought, ah, oh, this this card is everyone can pick out the the outcome. We got to surprise them. We got to surprise yeah. them, and it kind of overrode all this work you did building up Moose for this moment. And I think that. History shows that it's very tough for a babyface to come back from something like that. And, I mean, we'll see where they go. But I think just there was too yeah, much Hogan over Hogan Sting, Stark 897. Yeah. Even, though, <laughs> like, even though Sting, you know, Sting won, it, it, it hurt. It hurt him. I don't think you have to overthink um, simple stories. And to me, the simple story here was Moose succeeds. Very simple. And Aries uh, doesn't get hurt by that. Like, Aries does not get hurt by that loss uh but kind of going back to what we we're talking about with brian cage to me that's what this sets up for if, if you're not going to put the belts on moose then this sets up for brian cage invoking option c and we get another match with aries and a, and a athletic big dude yeah and that could have been the thinking that maybe they felt we're we're gonna go with cage above moose but i i i don't know i i see a lot in moose um that i i don't look at him as someone that is uh Un, that isn't ready for that top role. I think he's he's done very well, and I would have taken the chance after dedicating all that build up to him. It almost felt weird having Curtis Granderson have to just begrudgingly hand the title to yes. Aries, and I mean that to me was the real tip off here. It was like I can't imagine if they envisioned a heel victory here that they would have had uh, Curtis Granderson be involved. I mean, at least have him involved in a different match where he could be, you know, celebrating with the babyface for the big victory. It just seemed everything was tailor made here for a, a Moose victory. So surprising end to the to the show. Uh, that said, um, I, I thought this was an easy thumbs up show. I thought this was a very very good outing and the kind of show that Impact desperately needed. Um, you know, I, I think you and I were, were mildly, you know, thumbs up on the redemption show overall. Yeah. Uh, but nothing like this. This to me felt like it, like a really strong show and not just, you know, throwing a bone to Impact for putting on a passable show. Like this was a legitimately good show, I felt. Yeah, I went back, matter of fact, and listened to our redemption episode. And I think, you know, we, we were giving it, you know, six, seven out of 10 in that range. Uh, but to me, this is a solid eight out of 10 show, John Pollock. Like the only matches that, that didn't work for me were the two women's matches. And even then they like, they weren't terrible. They weren't the worst women's wrestling matches I've ever seen. They just weren't as good as the rest of the card. On the forum, we, we went big on a scale of one to 20 for this pay per view. Wow. <laughs> uh, what, what do you want to guess the forum, uh, ranked this on a scale of Ooh. one to 20? I'm going to say the forum gave this a 12 out of 20. The forum can be tough at times, but tonight they like this show. 15.8. Wow. Okay. So uh, let's run through. We we only have a few pieces of feedback here. So I I don't imagine the show doing any significant business on pay-per-view. No. But I do think it'll get some good word of mouth out there that – I think the television viewership will be interesting over the next couple of weeks to see if there is kind of a trickle down effect from, you know, a well received pay per view that some people might be um, intrigued by impact. Because uh, let's be honest, I thought this was a significantly better show than Extreme Rules last weekend. Not even, yeah, not, not even a question. This was a much better show with much better storytelling and, to be quite frankly, to be quite frank, much better in ring. So yeah, I thought it was a good show. The challenge with TNA, damn it. See that, that's the challenge right there, John Pollock, is that they have such an ingrained reputation from those TNA days that, you know, they, they get, like, I thought Redemption was a, was a decent show. This was a really good show. They still got a lot of work ahead of them, though. That's the thing. I don't think anyone should be, you know, celebrating 
that impacts uh, redemption, uh, for lack of a better term. They still have uh, significant ways to go. Um, but this was a good step forward. Uh, let's get to, to this feedback, and then we'll be joined by Wei for a quick uh, live report uh, from Hagaki. Went in with no expectations. Show was entertaining start to finish. I don't usually get into the hardcore matches, but I still thought those were pretty good too. I hope Impact keeps this quality up. Kyle writes, overall it was a great pay-per-view. I think it was better than any recent WWE pay-per-view. Impact feels like it has its own unique identity, finally. Uh, next one here from Tranquilo. It's 2018. Unprotected headshots have no place in wrestling. Completely took me out of the whole show. First match was a pretty good old school X Division spot fest. So at least there was that. I didn't notice any chair shots to the head. They certainly were, uh, with the, the garbage can lids, which yeah. 100% I agree with. Like that, they really should not be doing that stuff at all. Um, it's hard to really have sympathy when guys are doing that in this day and age, but I, I didn't notice any unprotected chair shots on this show. Um, I could have missed them. Damien writes, tonight's show was fantastic. From open to close, it was one of the better events I've seen all year. Impact is definitely on the upswing. It was nice to see color in hardcore matches for once. Do you think they should have put the title on Moose? He's been a very reliable performer in ring and is a clear fan favorite. I thought they should have. Um, Nate, it seems you, you were kind of in the same boat, or are you kind of uh, in between on how they went tonight? No, I definitely think they should have put the title on Moose. Again, no slight to Austin Aries, uh, but the, like you get a feeling, John, like when things are supposed to happen, you know, by the story. And, you know, it's the same thing when you're watching a movie or a TV show. If the conclusion isn't satisfying, it can color your your thoughts on the whole show. And while the finish didn't ruin the show for me, it certainly, you know, took what could have been an A show to, you know, a B, B plus show maybe. And the last one here is Jalen from Pickering. I was there live. The crowd chanted, thank you, Impact, as they went off the air. God damn, we are very Canadian. Strong show with a great crowd that treated the last two matches like the biggest deals on the show. I'm happy Aries won two, as I feel Moose needs to improve a little bit more for that spot. For negatives, the knockouts title match was nothing, and I don't enjoy chair shots to the head in 2018. I must have missed them. I'm sure uh, throughout – I'm imagining this was during the uh, the Pentagon-Sammy Callahan match where there were definitely chair shots, but I thought they were yeah. all to, to the back, and uh, I probably just missed it. Um, if you heard any 12 chants during the main event, we were mocking how young the referee looked. I think everyone knows what referee they are talking about who do- does look to be um, <laughs> on the younger side uh, of the uh, the scale. So anyway, that was uh, that was the feedback, and we're now going to be joined by Wei Ting. He attended the show live at the Rebel Entertainment Complex, and right before we bring on Wei, what did you think of how the venue looked, Nate? This is a this is like a concert hall in downtown Toronto that has never hosted wrestling before. But what did you think of uh, the look of this venue? I mean, I thought it looked pretty cool. You know the the things that I would have to say that are bad about the appearance and the presentation are all from the impact side. You know, we talked about the camera and the ropes and the lighting. Uh, but I thought just as a venue, it looked very cool. Like it was intimate, but it wasn't the old ECW arena, everybody on top of each other feel. It it felt, you know, like for the level that impact is at, it felt very on brand for where the company is at. Minus those ropes. I think we could do without the rope color, right? Yeah. So he was at the show live tonight while me and Nate were uh, dropping our money on Fight TV. Way went live and in person to tonight's edition of Slammiversary. And Way, first of all, you made record time getting home. You know, uh, it's very close to the, to the DVP, the Rebel uh, Complex. Okay. So 
I just hopped right there. Uh, but I was very close to the to uh, um, the parking lot. Like I was watching this standing for most of the show, pretty much the entire show, actually. So right as the the closing graphic hit and the announcer told everybody to leave. Uh, by the way, at the end of the show, the crowd was chanting, thank you, Impact. So I, uh, I, I made sure to check all that, made sure, made sure there were no more uh, storylines. And I got out of there because the <laughs> Rebel Complex is terrible for getting out of. I've been there for many concerts, and it's this narrow road that people usually have to line up for. Luckily, it didn't take me too long to get out of there. And uh, I got right on the highway and zipped right, right home to, to do this. So one of the major stories I thought of the show way was this crowd. I think that had you been in the impact zone for this show, I don't know if you necessarily would have been coming out with um, – as positive a reaction to this show. Um, what was the audience like from start to finish? It seemed like they were pretty up for, I'd say like 90% of the show. It felt like they were on for everything. This yeah. crowd was, was excellent. I mean, certainly like from the beginning, that excellent video that, 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 uh, impacted, uh, to open the show that, that they've been sharing for the past week. Uh, that got, got a great reaction. And really from that moment on, like this was a crowd that came here for great wrestling and I think this crowd recognizes what Impact is doing right now, and they want to applaud them for it. So it was a very – I mean, not just a pro-Impact crowd, but like a pro, pro-wrestling pro crowd, you know, who just appreciates good wrestling. So uh, I would say this was a crowd that felt very much like your ROH crowd, you know, your New Japan crowd, uh, except we're, we were watching an Impact show. Yeah, I'm, I was kind of curious because going into this show – I was interested to see, like, what would the makeup be of this audience? Would it just be a crowd that is wrestling fans that their non-WWE exposure is when Ring of Honor comes to town? Because when you're contrasting WWE, ROH, and Impact, when it comes to, you know, their level of distribution in Canada, Impact is by far at the lowest. Did you get the sense that Mm -hmm. this was a crowd that was following along and knew the characters because that kind of was my takeaway that they seemed really hot here and knew what was going on. I certainly did. Yeah. I I thought everybody had like, uh, everybody seemed to react well to like all the storyline beats. Uh, Everybody like knew, you know, impact character things. Like everybody was with like Matt Seidel and his whole third eye thing. Mm. Um, So at least from my, from my uh, perspective, uh, so it definitely felt like this was an audience that was very familiar with the uh, with the content and the fact that it sold out, you know, suggests that it was mainly impact fans that were actually purchasing tickets. But not only that, like you're you're, you're talking about a lot of stars now that I think are, are so seen like outside of impact. Even, you know, we're talking guys like Penta and Aries and, uh, you know, uh, Sammy Callahan, who who make appearances in, in a number of other places that uh, I think. Even if you're just kind of in, plugged in to any of the wrestling that's out there right now, you would be familiar familiar with a good portion of the crowd uh, card. I mean, now, way one of the things that John and I were really pleasantly surprised by on this show is that while they had three separate hardcore matches, they all felt different and they mm-hmm. all felt like they had their own story. Um, being in the audience, did did each of those three matches seem distinct to you? And and uh, were were they uh, kind of the highlight of the of the night for you in in terms of audience participation and, and, and engagement. Certainly, yes, I would definitely say they're the highlight. And uh, I read uh, quickly your r- report, John, uh, afterwards, and I, I have to agree that like it felt like they escalated in terms of severity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, at, at the very least, I, I, it peaked with the most violent one, and that to me was uh, the Pentagon Jr. versus Sammy Callahan match, which which was my match of the night. Um, incredible reactions, like incredible reactions for. Well, I think there was some disappointment when Tommy Dreamer pulled out that that kerosene lit lit the <laughs> poured it on the table and there were like it felt like I was kind of in like an ECW type of crowd with people like feeling very bloodthirsty around me, uh, just just kind of chanting for. For blood, for violence, for fire. There was a fire chant going on around me. And when they didn't get it, they were disappointed. Um, and then, yeah, but I, I felt like the Pentagon Jr. Sammy Callahan match like really delivered uh, with everything that, that it promised. And the LAX uh, uh, OG's match was really good, too. That was a lot of fun with a lot of big spots. How about the main event following something as big as Sammy Callahan and Pentagon? Um, at times, I noted it, it almost felt as though they they were trying to fit like a 22, 23 minute match into 15. And I think that that was the outcome that legitimately surprised everyone. This felt like this show was tailor made for Moose's big title win right down to a title presenter brought in courtesy of the Toronto Blue Jays and Aries wins. What was uh, sort of the reaction to the main event, how it came across to the crowd and the finish? For me, I mean, I felt like the main event had a bit of a tougher time to follow uh, the, the hardcore match because I thought, you know, when you see something like uh, involving a hardcore match in person, uh, it's just so visually stunning that uh, straight up wrestling match was a little bit tough to uh, match in, or, or at least exceed uh, the other. I mean, you know, they did some incredible stuff in that match, too, with uh, uh, Moose Gorilla pressing areas into the crowd. I, I couldn't like I was standing this whole time, so I couldn't even see what he dove onto or who he dove onto. I just knew he threw the man into the audience. So what did he actually land on? Uh, was this Aries? Yeah, Aries. He he. Uh, when he did the running drop kick, he just landed right on the floor from that. No, I mean, I mean, uh, when Moose threw him into the uh, oh the military seats. press, there were a bunch of plants there too for him to okay. land on. Yeah, gotcha. That, 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 unfortunately, that was one of the the issues I had with the Rebel Complex, uh, which was the lack of like uh, screens for for people that that were on the outside. But I mean. That that happens in a lot of places. The Rebel Complex itself is actually like quite stunning. It's it, it's beautiful. It's got like a it's a nightclub, I suppose, normally. So like it's got like a crazy ceiling that you would typically see in a nightclub. And it actually provides like a perfect kind of shape to be uh to to, to like be placed on top of a wrestling ring. It kinda like looked really good. Um and you know it's it wasn't like I used to go to this venue when it was like a long, narrow concert hall. It's not really that anymore. It's like more of a square. So, I mean, I, I almost kind of got the vibe of like sort of like a Manhattan Center type of type of thing where, um, you know, uh, a ring is in the center and then you have like a big balcony that surrounds that uh, the stage, obviously, where they put seats. And uh, there were actually a lot of people on the hard cam side that were either sitting down or standing. So. Uh, yeah, those are those are kind of my thoughts on on the actual crowd. You know, yeah. as someone that that isn't watching Impact weekly, uh, first of all, it seemed like there there was no hang up in kind of getting into the characters and stories for yourself. But uh, does a show like this um, does it lead you to want to go out of your way to follow Impact more closely, or do you think that this is something that when there's something big with Impact, people will check in, um, but it's still a product that is not at the top of people's priority. For me, I have so much other wrestling to watch uh, that I think Impact, by doing this show, like definitely took a big step up from, you know, 
a year ago when when uh even less than a year ago when i think they still had a terrible reputation as the company who can't really do anything right they took a huge step up from that to hey like this company just did one of the best shows of the year so they are to be taken seriously now is it, is it enough for me to fit it into my weekly routine like on the level of like an nxt or something like that no not yet i think they they still need to keep going to in order to really kind of build rebuild that that uh uh, trust with the audience, but this this show kind of went a long way towards it. I thought, yeah, I, I think there's going to be good word of mouth coming out of this. But I mean, just polling people ahead of the show, it just seemed like a lot of people are aware Impact's doing better now, but it's still not something that they are forget spending significant money on like tonight's pay-per-view but just finding the time there's so much wrestling if you are a fan today that impacts really gonna have to have their work cut out for them for people to carve out two hours a week to follow this product it's just something that it's not five years ago when they were when they had kind of that non-wwe subsection of north american wrestling Uh, they had a large concentration of that and now it's such a different world that you've really got to stand out just to get people's time, much less their money. Mm-hmm. Well, but I think- on top of that, they yes. well, real quick on top of that, like we talked about, John, they've burned so many people. You know, I've had people reach out to me this week because they knew I was going to come on here and talk about Slammiversary. And, you know, they're like, is Impact good? You know, do you watch every week? And I'm like, yeah, the, the week-to-week shows are actually really well done. The, the, the storytelling is solid. The in-ring work, it's not off the charts great, but it's good. Uh, and so, you know, after we get through talking, I'll be like, so, you know, you're going to check it out this week. And nine times out of ten, the answer I get back, boy, is, yeah, I would. But, A, I've got too much wrestling to watch. And, B, I've been burned so many times by this company. And so I think that's still a hurdle that they've got to get over. Yeah, certainly. But, you know, momentum is on their side. And, and I, at the very least, they are part of, you know, I, I as somebody who do, didn't watch that show, I'm at least more aware now and, and open to hearing about what's going on. Whereas I think if you asked me six months ago, I mean, I wouldn't even really care. But now I know good matches can actually be seen on this show. Good storylines, good like adult storylines can be told on this show. Uh, and that's not necessarily something you might find on, you know, let's say even at least like in the hardcore variety. I don't think NXT would do uh, some of the matches that I think we saw tonight. Uh, anything we didn't touch on way from a live perspective that uh, stood out for you? Um, I don't really think so. I mean, you know, I look forward to, to hearing kind of what the, your thoughts were on uh, the production side of things. Uh, I'm always cu- kind of curious as it relates to that. Uh, but as a live experience, I had a lot of fun. You know, Toronto is just like a great wrestling town. And uh, this was an audience who was there to uh, enjoy and, and really vocally support good wrestling that's coming to their town. And this felt like a major show. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how they do. The night. They're, they're in Toronto, the same venue for the television tapings, Monday and Tuesday night, um, mm-hmm. to see what, like, obviously, it's not going to be like tonight, uh, the next two, but to see how many people maybe are going to go out of their way now to go to these tapings uh, the next two nights. Uh, but wait, thank you very much for the uh, the live report. That's going to bring an end to our show. Uh, so I also want to thank you, Nate, uh, for joining us. And uh, I want to get all of your uh, your plugs out there, Nate. Oh, of course. A, thank you for having me on. It, it's it's always a pleasure to come and, and talk to you, John, and also Brother Ting. You know, I, I feel like we don't talk as as much as as, as I would like. Uh, I'm available anytime, anytime, <laughs> Nate. 
Uh, have you seen Ant-Man? You saw Ant-Man and the Wasp, didn't you? Of course, yeah. You want to yeah, chat about it now? I, I, I would say I thought uh, it was a nice palate cleanser after Infinity War. I did like it. I hope you stayed for the credits after. Uh, oh, yes, I did. <laughs> uh, but yeah, speaking of Marvel, uh, I've got Always Forward, which is a show that chronicles Marvel's Netflix, Netflix's, Netflix's Marvel's Luke Cage. Got to make sure everybody gets paid. Uh, Always Forward is coming back later this summer. Uh, with myself and Ivan Guzman checking, talking about season two of Luke Cage. Uh, I've got the Kings of Sport, myself and Marcus Vanderberg. Uh, our newest show should be out by the time you're listening to this, where we not only discuss, uh, Hulk Hogan's reinstatement into the WWE universe, but also, uh, Kawhi Leonard, uh, making his home in Toronto now. Yeah, that was my uh, closing question. Kawhi Leonard. For uh, getting rid of DeMar DeRozan, Nate, uh, where where do you fall on this? Or are you going to make us listen to the show? I mean, you can listen to the show, but the, 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 the quick Cliff's Notes version I'll give you is you can make the argument DeRozan is, other than Vince Carter, the greatest Raptor in Toronto Raptors history. And there's a case to be made he's even better than Vince when you look at his overall production and the postseason work that he's done. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, that's that's enough to get you into the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, against probably the Celtics, uh, but I don't know if it's enough to get you past the Warriors if you get to the finals, or even the Rockets if the Rockets get past the Warriors. Uh, plus, you're only getting Kawhi Leonard for a year, because spoiler alert, Kawhi Leonard is not uh, re-signing with Toronto once the season's over. He's probably headed to L.A. So uh, those are my quick thoughts on uh, Kawhi Leonard. If you want the expanded version, uh, check out the Kings of Sport with myself and Marcus Vanderberg. And uh, you can always find me on Twitter at uh, in the number eight M-O-Z-A-I-K, Nate Mosaic on Twitter. Well, I'll definitely be listening to uh, the Kings of Sport. I always love, love to hear uh, you guys discuss the fate of our, our sports teams here in uh, Toronto uh, when you make it specific here. Uh, Way and I will be back on Monday night with uh, Rewind to Raw. We'll also have the Rewind to Raw double shot for patron members at postwrestlingcafe.com. And on a serious note, uh, we're just hearing about this awful shooting that went on in uh, downtown Toronto uh, late tonight. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, uh, those listening are, are safe and no one is affected by this. It's just been uh, a horrendous year uh, for Toronto when it comes to uh, gun violence. So that's kind of a, a downer as I'm seeing all of these, uh, these tweets about this. Uh, so that's going to wrap up the show. Thank you to all of you for listening, and we will speak with you on Monday night.